We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Mankind Podcast, the show where we break the molds of modern manhood to prove there is more than one way to be a man. Today, we are joined by Saeed Hill, the Assistant Director of Prevention and Masculine Engagement and the Center for Awareness, Response and Education, CARE, where he develops and implements strategies to improve masculine engagement in the prevention of violence. Saeed's work focuses on leading collaborative efforts at Northwestern University in men's engagement programming and education around healthy masculinity. Saeed also serves as a confidential survivor advocate and support for students impacted by sexual violence, relationship violence, and stalking. Man, what a resume. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Brandon. Thanks for that. Absolutely. Of course, uh, kudos and shout outs go to Dr. Ryan McKelly, as well as Daniel Ellenberg, who uh, kind of through our various conversations and connections, both of them said, you've got to speak to Saeed. So grateful to have you here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Love those guys. And, you know, Daniel himself, Dr. Ellenberg has been a mentor of mine for years now. And so really happy to to be here and be part of something that they also value. And I really value this podcast as well. I listen too. So appreciate it. Oh, amazing. Well, does, does Daniel, is he as cheeky and provocative and, <laughs> uh, Sometimes annoying to you, <laughs> to me. <laughs> Never annoying, uh, yeah, you know, but no, he he's just such a connected uh, individual, and I mean that in terms of connected around you know emotional depth and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And and I saw him speak at a conference, and I was just instantly attracted to his vibe, his energy, um, and he's really helped me with a lot of my healing process and mm. how I think about professionalism and professional development. So I I, I love. Uh, I love that guy. And he always gives me something to think about. So I really appreciate him. So I say annoying kind of in jest because Mm -hmm. I will be so stalwart on a thought, opinion, belief. And he'll be like, tell me what you mean by that. And (laughs) just totally shove a shiv into it and open it and help me kind of see uh, maybe some of the areas in which I'm misinformed or so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have never been in a conversation with him that has lasted less than 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And my first real conversation with him lasted well over an hour myself. And I'll tell you a quick, not that it has to be about Daniel, this podcast, but I'll give you a quick thing about Daniel is that uh, he once, I once made a, a vision board for um, 2020. And that was going to be my vision board for 2020 at the time. And I made it probably in like September of 2019. And I talked to him about it and he listened to it. And then he kind of told me, he said, you know, that's kind of a stupid vision board. <laughs> and, and I was like thrown off by that. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you still have so long in 2019, Saeed. You know, uh, why, why don't we slow down a little bit and think about what else there is in 2019? And, and it's just one of those moments where I typically am so, I can have my own anxieties, my own fears, my own future tripping sort of mentality. And uh, he's always been really good to help ground me with something as simple as that. So appreciate him. Yeah, absolutely. Shout outs. And uh, I know many of you appreciate Daniel's work too, because one of his episodes is one of our most viewed where we talked about three keys to courageous conversations. It's like episode three or four, check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, tell me like, you've got a lot of experience in the space of working around men and masculinity 
uh, especially like specifically around, you know, shaping what healthy masculinity looks like. Uh, I'm curious, like, man, what lights your soul on fire about this work? What attracts you to it? What draws you to it? Why, why are you here doing this work, this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think that I, it started really off of uh, me just I, it really started off with me identifying some issues within the field. And so when I first started getting really interested in masculinity work, um, you know, I was um, an undergraduate um, and going into grad school, attending my first um, APA conference, my first, uh, first American Psychological Association conference. And there I uh, heard many of my uh, colleagues who were women talking about um, sexual harassment um, and violence within the field, um, with supervisors, with um, and fe fears and issues with even colleagues at the conference itself. Um, and actually what stuck with me was one colleague naming that she reported it to one of the security folks at the conference, some of the issues she was having, um, and he um, used that in turn to harass her himself. And Jeez. so it really started out with just a, what the heck is this? What's going on with that? And um, me, led me to just researching more things around like sexism, hostile benevolent sexism in particular, bystander intervention, you know, things like that around violence prevention. And that really led me into like looking at studies around the, the gender dynamics and components of that. And it led me into a space of really starting to reflect more on my own behaviors, my own masculinity. How has that impacted my ability or at times inability to connect to others, um, especially women in my life? And so it really started with things around that and really, though, blew up into a full-blown exploration of my own relationship with men throughout my life and who my models were, such as my father. Um, and so although it started out of this collegial sort of thing around gender dynamic, which continues to be a huge part of my work now, it really turned into and snowballed into a lot of awareness around some of um, the places where I just was felt incomplete and didn't even notice some of the gender components because I didn't have to um, at times because of my own privileges or backgrounds or whatever. So that's sort of um, how I got into it. And what continues to keep me in it and what I love about it is I love helping people feel free, feel mm. lighter, um, connect. Um, I think freedom and liberation is a huge part of this work, especially justice-oriented work. Um, and part of that is freeing ourselves of, of some of these shackles and restrictions that may be you know, masculinity in particular, which we'll talk about, uh, might uh, kind of hold on to us a little bit, you know, and mm. impact us. And so wanting to help folks uh, exercise that and explore that. Right. And so let's get, let's get kind of granular. What does that look like? You know, what's a day in the life? Who are the people that you're working with? And what are the yeah. problems that you're solving? Or sure. at least working towards something? Yeah. So um, at Northwestern, um, in that work, um, my job is to primarily work with students who have been impacted by various forms of violence. So you said it before, sexual violence, relationship violence, stalking, those sorts of things. So I'm a confidential support. So my job is to meet with students who have been impacted um, and help um, them re-regulate, process some of those initial responses uh, to um, those traumas or that impact and feel some of that and connect them to other resources within the community or the university that can continue to help them from there. Um, that being said, a lot of my job is very multifaceted. So that's one piece of it. But I do have this um, masculinity uh, specialization within uh, that role as well. So assistant director prevention 
and masculine engagement. So what that looks like is um, doing a lot of workshops, programming, curriculum development uh, with different departments at the university to promote healthy masculinity as a means of prevention. And so mm -hmm. what that might entail is I do run um, a six-week um, curriculum-based program at Northwestern called New Men. That is N-U, the letters N-U, um, and then men. So, you know, a little playoff of Northwestern University. You see how, you know, that's why we get paid the big bucks, right? <laughs> they Very, come up with stuff like that. Very hip. Um, yeah, so <laughs> clever. Um, so we have that program that takes um, our male uh, and masculine uh, of center or masculine identifying students um, through the process of deconstructing their masculinity. So um, what does it mean to be male or masculine in society to let's talk emotional intelligence to let's unpack policy and how we can use our voices to advocate for better policy around gender. So things mm -hmm. like that is also um, what I do. Um, mm -hmm. I supervise a student group called Mars mm -hmm. um, at Northwestern as well which stands for Masculinity, Allyship, Reflection, and Solidarity, which is a student group that does peer education with other uh, mm -hmm. you know, students around masculinity and consent um, and sexual violence work. And so um, that's the kind of work I do at Northwestern, you know, leading those sort yeah. of conversations, notwithstanding some of the work I do outside of Northwestern as well. You're a busy fella. Wow. It's That's amazing. It's it's too it's too busy. So if I can tell anyone too, also don't be afraid to slow down and say no. I struggle with that, and so uh, I'm in that now. You know, mm -hmm. so that can also be part of this whole talk too. Heard absolutely. So there's two things that caught my eye there. So working with these students, uh, one might assume you'd be working with primarily females. Do you also have male students come to you for support? Absolutely. I mean, we know that there's so much stigma already around, um, you know, for our survivors, for coming forward, um, talking about it, processing those sorts of things. And so um, and then you add on sort of a gender sort of specific stigma around men and masculinity. And so I do see uh, obviously plenty of uh, female identified students, folks who don't identify. So um, our gender neutral students, I see many of those students as well. Mm. But um, I do see many men um, within over the last several years of doing the work who who come in and, and process some of the harm that they've encountered as well. But it's it's fewer and far in between. And part of it as well is that it's harder for a lot of our male or masculine students to name the experience of, of, of experiencing violence because of some of the messages they may have received around um, who experiences sexual violence or how. And yeah. so that's part of that job as well. Yeah, I was interviewing a man a while ago, different show, different setting. Um, and it was actually, we didn't, with his request, we didn't post it, nor will reveal his identity. Um, but he was, uh, he went through that challenge of coming to terms with harassment that he'd experienced. In fact, it was his boss who was female who was inappropriately touching him. Mm. And when he went to his friends, they were all like, oh man, lucky you, she's hot. You know, like you know, trying to, and he felt like he had to go along with that, that narrative and be like, yeah, I guess lucky me. I'm also a married man. I'm also, you know, and he got stuck in this kind of dichotomy of, well, my buddies think I'm, they wish they, they say they wish they were in my position where I feel incredibly conflicted, hurt, um, uh, violated. Yeah. So th there is some 
trudging to do through the mud to kind of get ourselves out of these frames of mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a victim of harassment yeah. And, yeah, and to identify as one. If we talk man box, like you're talking about kind of deconstructing masculinity, you know, Paul Kibble's act like a man box. You don't talk about that stuff. Right. That stuff happens to you. You shove it down, stay stoic, don't show weakness. So naturally, mm -hmm. men won't come forward for some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I emphasize a lot, especially with the man box and, and doing that kind of activity where we're really just naming sort of the, the rigid stereotypes, you know, or the rigid rigidity around what it means to be a man um, and really deconstruct that. What we see is that at the core of it, what we're saying being a man is, is to be powerful. And the definition of that power is to be able to um, sort of have at all times a sense of agency, responsibility, control, protection, control is that huge one. And um, when uh, we have men who are not, engaged with that or maybe do not hold those things because none of us do at all times and that's sort of the the issue is that we don't get the message of of that being okay or mm. it being okay that you don't always feel the most powerful the most in control um the most even keeled and so when we get those messages when we're not that way because hey being a survivor of violence it's designed to strip you of some of that power control agency um then a lot of men don't know what to do with that. And they're very confused. And there's some really interesting statistics about how, um, as compared to uh, women who are survivors, men who are survivors of violence um, have even have exponentially less um, ability to identify that they are survivors of violence, um, uh, to even name that because that's may not even be an experience they're familiar with for their own gender. And so uh, we see um, huge issues with that. And to your point about your, yeah, your friend and, and him hearing from these uh, other men, you know, sort of almost making light of it. We see that piece too, where we often mock, you know, men who um, are on the receiving end of that, um, I think about the the film Horrible Bosses, which actually yeah, um, yeah. coincides with this situation really well, where um, there is a, 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 a boss who is a woman, uh, Jennifer Aniston's character, who sexually harasses um, her uh, male um, uh, colleague, but I think she's actually his boss, right? Supervisor mm -hmm. boss. And it's it's treated as humor. You know, it's treated as funny because of how good looking Jennifer Aniston is, what this other male character looks like. And those sorts of messages, we have to be really careful and, mm -hmm. and to and to scrutinize what that message is, um, because that makes it so much more difficult for men to come forward and continues to to make it much more difficult for anyone to come forward for that matter. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. So mm -hmm. in a sense, we kind of need to, as it pertains to uh, describing and labeling harassment, we need to kind of level the playing field here. Not to suggest that, not, not, not in any way to say that we can measure the amount of harm that's done based on gender. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if a man's experiencing harassment, if a woman's experiencing, if a non-binary person is experiencing harassment, it's harassment. And we don't right. need to be measuring who has it worse. Mm -hmm. In those instances, we need to treat them with the same care and encourage them, especially men, <laughs> encourage yeah. them to go into the process. I, I, I want to kind of look at the, from the lens of a student. Mm-hmm. 
uh, younger, younger person, you know, kind of in the no man's land of figuring out what it means to be a man, right? You got these like 18 to early twenties kids that are in a college environment that are still very much hormonally development, developing, um, perhaps some of the messages that are getting their attention are the Andrew Tates of the world or the frat bros that they're, you know, that they're engaged with all the time. I'm trying to look from the lens of a young male student who's possibly going into your class thinking, I'm just going to get called out in this. Yeah. Why, why would I do this if I'm just going to get called out and be told that I'm not the right way to be a man or, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to tell me that I'm just a toxic masculine, you know, that I am the epitome of toxic masculinity. How do you welcome someone who may hold beliefs or behave in a way that some could judge as toxic, you know, in a masculine sense, how do you welcome them into that environment? How do you bridge that gap? How do you engage them? Yeah. I love that question. Um, I think when we're talking college students and some of the, are my college men um, that I work with, um, the first thing is food. Um, you know, just, you know, <laughs> the great sure equalizer. Food, uh, food available <laughs> to get them to the table. And then, you know, that might uh, disarm them a little bit uh, mentally around and emotionally around some of that uh, trepidation or, or whatever it may be. But no, um, truthfully, it's 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 really about what the message is that we're providing folks, right? And so I think there is a way, um, and I know this from the, the young uh, folks that I work with um, at Northwestern, um, obviously discussions of masculinity um, are much more mainstream than they they have ever maybe been um, in, in, a, in a long time, you know, if ever, um, just really exploring masculinity, um, scrutinizing that as a system, as an institution, as a noun, whatever it may be. Um, and I think as well, like with that has come that label of toxic masculinity, right? And I think we have a gener- you know, a newer generation of students who are coming up with this not only more exploration of masculinity, but exploration of something called toxic masculinity, right? And hearing a lot about how masculinity is toxic or whatever that may be. And I do understand maybe there's some hesitancy to come into the work from that lens because it's hard to be someone at any age, much less at at a real developmental spot, hearing that a core piece of maybe your identity um, is really scrutinized and maybe considered even toxic. So part of my approach um, is to already set the tone by saying, I don't believe that masculinity is inherently toxic whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think that there's various aspects of masculinity um, and what it means to be masculine aligned or identifying that um, has a lot of utility and usefulness. You know, I think, you know, things around being protective or things around being in control or having a certain sense of power and agency. Stoic. Yeah. Being stoic. At times you know, that mentality of don't let them see you sweat kind of thing that might have usefulness in moments or at in opportunities moments. or yes. times, right? Our message, though, is that um, what does it feel like to have to be those things at all times, all the time, or else if you're not, you're ostracized or criticized or made to feel be made to feel less than as a man. Mm. Our message is to say, Look, if you want to be some of those things sometimes and you need to have be those things sometimes, that's perfectly okay. What's not okay is living probably within that rigidity at all times because 
that's extremely anxiety provoking because we can't be all of those things. And so what yes. we say is like, we can be those things, but can we add some flexibility to that? What we want to say is like, we need to adapt masculinity or a vision of masculinity that's much more flexible and less rigid, which is the reason why I use the term restrictive masculinity. That's the kind of the terminology I use that's been really helpful for our students to connect to masculinity work in a different way because we're saying that it's actually restrictive because it certainly can be, which we can unpack that a little bit more here in a second, yeah. um, as opposed to inherently toxic, which really lands very negatively for a lot of the folks that we want to engage in this work. <laughs> All right. So we just had a slight little technical difficulty as we do in this format. We don't get to chat face to face. You were just talking about using the phrase restrictive masculinity as opposed to toxic masculinity. And there's a part of me that feels vindicated because I have this conversation frequently with people who use the phrase toxic masculinity, not in a, in a uh, combative way, but I ask them, tell me what you mean by that. Mm -hmm. And many of them just go, well, men who behave badly. Mm -hmm. And I try and share with them, you know, perhaps perhaps the phrase in itself has become toxic and isn't being used appropriately. And mm -hmm. masculinity doesn't necessarily, those characteristics don't always represent men. Yeah. You know, not number one, a lot of men don't, some men might lean more towards feminine characteristics and traits. And then again, some women or non-binary folk could also behave in toxic ways that can, could be considered masculine traits. Anywho, all that to say, you're like the fourth doctor now who has come on and said that I feel vindicated. I feel like I can just send them to the podcast now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and and the reason I started, it was because I started to get feedback from not just some of my male or masculine students, but some of the men who are actually even older than I am, you know, who um, had some issues, you know, certainly with the phrasing. And so part of it did start a little bit from semantics, some of a semantics place. But when we really delve into it, it is, 100%, we have to be really accurate or at least intentional about how we're saying things or how we're thinking about things. So if someone says toxic, I, I want to know what they mean by that. Like, what do you mean by toxic? Um, I also think that, um, you know, toxic just isn't, it, it's just hard to define what that looks like, you know, yeah. um, in a sense to study that or whatever. Um, but, and it's, and in, in the end is just inaccurate to what we're saying. Now, what I will concede with that is, and I'll often tell people is that there sure, certainly can be forms of how we show up in our masculinity that is toxic. So toxic yes. forms of masculinity or toxic traits, you know, like there's some toxicity. We could use that term if we want to in that way. But if we're talking masculinity, I think it's, I found it to be way more helpful to, to call it restrictive because yes. in that context, we can say that we can do things to unrestrict while also saying that there might be stuff within that man box that has usefulness. Um, and let's talk about that. Yes, as well. absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think it also, that also lends to a lot of the single parents out there that have had to lean into both energies, both poles, you could say between masculine and feminine um, mm -hmm. that have had to do that, that have had to defend their families and, you know, fight off the saber tooth tiger per se, you know, and lean into certain masculine traits and then look at the men who are incredibly caring, incredibly nurturing that really try and lean into that, say as a parent or a role model or to those whom they care for or take care of. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm happy that we're broadening it yeah. here 
So restrictive masculinity. So, so you have these classes, you bring in these, these students, uh, you kind of play the role of kind of deconstructing. What is the biggest uh, objection you could say, or challenge that you hear from some of these students as you start to give them some other options as to what mm-hmm. their masculinity could look like for their men? Yeah. Well, let me say this. The first thing is, is that I, when when I have um, discussed this in this way, using the term restrictive um, and helping to contextualize that for folks um, and explain what it is um, through explaining what the experience of restriction is, right? Like that's really what we're getting at. These are words, these are terms we're using, but what is the experience of feeling restrictive? I will tell you, I've rarely had any pushback. Um, from folks about how we approach that because what we're simply saying is that we don't want you to be necessarily like completely different or not be masculine or whatever saving masculine is negative just that can you provide yourself some permission to be more flexible with yourself in those moments or times when you don't feel like you can be you know that that in that man box in that way or it's not helpful or useful to you um and also at the same time can you grant permission and modeling for others to do the same and so Mm -hmm. people have really resonated with that now what i will say some of the biggest um if i do get pushback from men or even from other um women who i also do these workshops with around thinking about because we all know we have you know masculine traits, characteristics, feminist traits, characteristics, there's a yin and yang of that all, right? Um, And so what I've seen and what I've encountered is this idea of, well, Saeed, maybe in a lot of contexts, some of our men are already feeling or experiencing vulnerability. So for example, um, some of the pushback I might get is from some um, men or women of color in particular, talking about our men of color who might be already susceptible or vulnerable in societal in society around, say, um, issues with police, right? Or, or other forms of violence that might be coming up uh, for folks. And um, so I'm, what I might get is, well, Saeed, you're talking about teaching our men to be more vulnerable, but they're already so vulnerable in various ways in society. So how do we, how do I give that message to them? And isn't that more harmful to have them become more vulnerable um, in some way? And shouldn't masculine folks be tougher or harder to combat some of that, you know? Um, And so what I typically will respond with is like, I can understand and empathize with the thought. But also, if not, and and sometimes these have been like mothers of sons who have said this to me, and what I'll tell them is, well, you know, who who then can they actually be vulnerable with then, right? If you're already saying that they're already vulnerable in the societal space, um, and you're also saying that you need to toughen them up, you know, maybe this is a single mother situation, which I've gotten that quite a bit. Um, you need to also toughen them up. Um, society is also going to try to toughen them up. Other men will try to keep them tough. You know, there might be expectations from other women for them to be tough. When do they get to let go of some of that? Because what we know is, is when you don't, if you're not allowed to let go of some of that and step into not having to be all of those things at all the time, that eats away at folks. And the analogy I give, and apologies for folks who might be a little claustrophobic, um, that I'll give this example analogy, but if you were to be trapped inside of a box, right, if we're thinking quite literally the man box, um, if you were to be trapped inside of that box, how might that feel? You know, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Um, but 
if we give you opportunities to get out of that box, you might love that, right? You want to get out of that box, feel more free. But what if I told you, hey, I'll give you the tools to try to help you get out of it, but then we're just going to make fun of you for using those tools. We're going to isolate you for using those tools. Mm -hmm. What's the point of getting out of the box? You know, like what, what, where do I need to get out of the box? Like there's a lot of confusion to that. And so what we want to do is provide that permission and modeling to say is like, Hey, let go of some of that. That's okay. You can divest from some of the the power, some of the control, some of those rigid messages we get about toughness, we can divest from some of that and still affirm you and not, you know, and it doesn't have to mean that you're any less masculine or any less of a man. Right. Um, it just means you're a more complete human. And that's what we're looking at. Right. A more complete human as opposed to a sliding scale of how manly you are. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. The, the affirming piece, I believe, is where it's powerful because you're you're potentially asking them to step outside of a box that they're so familiar with for the majority yeah. of their life mm-hmm. and to try on some new skin. It's, it's a, it's a scary thought and prospect, especially considering maybe all the environments that those people occupy. Yeah. Affirm the man box. Affirm. I mean, I went, to an all, I went to the old boys private school where, you know, rugby was a religion and it was, don't be a bitch. Don't be a pussy. Don't be, these things and I subscribe to it. Yeah. It never landed. It never felt right. But mm-hmm. I wanted to be a part of the crowd. I didn't want to be let out left out. I didn't want yeah. to be, you know, not manly or so I, I just followed suit. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. People get hurt in that space. Well, you know, one of the big things that we that we'll talk about is just simple and it sounds so simple because it really is but it's it's more complex than that is that just simple exposure to the idea that you could be a little different than some of these societal expectations or how you always learned is is really illuminating for folks in the first place you know i grew up with a very loving father and he loved me in the ways that he knew how to love me but he also didn't know how to model uh because of like gender components, cultural components. I'm I'm an Indo-Caribbean man and, you know, some of those Indian traits characteristics or Caribbean culture of men being tough, um, you know, or um, being sort of in charge of things or not as emotional. I mean, I didn't get that from my father. I didn't see that from other men. And so I was off just trying to learn from anybody you know I, I was a big pro wrestling fan i was like oh these men who are professional wrestlers <laughs> i guess that's what i'm supposed to be like or you know um there weren't a lot of indian men on tv or movie or media or men of color in particular that i i felt like i could resonate with and so you're kind of off on your own and it's you don't necessarily learn how to question some of that um and there are privileges involved with that identity, but also there's such a cost to some of that too. And I think part of the cost of living within that man box rigidly is a loss of connection, a loss of support, and a loss of like connecting to you yourself internally, you know, um, because you're constantly trying to keep up with this sort of appearance um, that's uh, just like, it's, it's imagined it's sort of made up you yeah. know um and that's hard that's hard well, it's also it's also when you learn to identify what it looks like and how it turns up maybe someone wants to be like everyone else like i was but i don't yeah. think it's i can't speak for everyone but i'm going to try to speak for everyone i don't think it's within our innate desires to be like everyone else 
Yeah. I mean, have you ever been down in Florida during spring break? <laughs> oh, they dress identical. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it's and, and it's like I, I I witness the behavior at the bar or whatever, and I'm like, man, it's like it's like cookie cutter. Yeah. Cookie mm-hmm. cutter. Just yeah. And the kids having a good time. They're figuring themselves out. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong inherently with the phase of life as it is, because I did that myself. I did mm-hmm. all that stuff myself, and it was necessary, I guess, to touch the stove in some ways to realize what I don't. It doesn't yeah. work for me as a man individually, but yeah, it is definitely that pressure to be like every other person, the mm-hmm. archetype of manhood, the archetype of masculinity, to have that power to get the girl right, go for the triple. Instead of the double, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Well, I am. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. that's yours, man. You're the guest. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no. What I, the only thing I was gonna uh, add to that is, and I appreciate you even bringing up the example of of women, for instance. And so, part of what we talk about with the man box uh, activity is thinking through, like, one of the stereotypes for men is, um, you know having sex with women or pursuing sex, um, you know, at all times, like men need sex all the time or want sex all the time. And it's not just that it's sex specifically with women. That's the stereotype. That's the, that's the rigid part of that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a piece here that you can really address from different angles. One is if there's a constant desire or you thought you think requirement even for you to pursue sex with women, how does that impact your approach to even connecting to women? right? How does that influence the kinds of things you talk about, things you're interested in, how you try to approach that conversation? If that's the end goal, if sex is an end goal all the time, like what does that do to your brain? What does that do to your connection, right? To others. So that's one piece that you could always talk about. What does that do to the understanding of consent as well? The other piece of that is- And the value of women. Absolutely. And the value of women, if that's what they're there for. And so how does that start to influence not only your response and interactions to them, but other men around in your life as well, right? If that's what you're sort of bonding over. At the same time, it's the idea of it's so rigid to say that it's only with women. That's what makes you a man, because then we start to box out, you know, um, ironically, we box out men who um, have different sexual orientations or preferences or are folks in the asexual community as well who exist, who may not find pleasure in that or want to pursue um, sexual relationships or dynamics. Does that make them less than men? And so what we're just saying is like there's a way that this starts to emphasize things like homophobia, potentially transphobia, some of these other things when we start to make these hierarchies and requirements around masculinity. And so again, can we say, yes, if you're just always living in the man box in that way, then that can be very harmful. And we want to get away from some of that. But at the same time, let's provide that flexibility, rigidity, and permission to say that there's so many other forms of what this looks like. So we can feel just better and less anxious about ourselves because that through that anxiety and through is really and restriction is where I think we start to do harm, not only to ourselves, but other people as well. Well said. I think, I think another benefit of what you're doing which i've experienced and witnessed is identifying let's say anything you're doing being right or wrong is purely subjective how open are you to looking at the potential impacts mm-hmm. of your actions and your behaviors whether yeah. intended or unintended mm-hmm. that was the knife in the stomach for me yeah oh my 
what what about that what about that really stood out i'm curious um i would say just how i had treated Mm -hmm. sexual partners in my early 20s Mm -hmm. i mean silly anecdote i remember hanging with some friends and this one girl i hooked up with was kept calling me and i remember being like oh man she's keen she's you know chasing me she wants it whatever and i was ghosting her i had left my hoodie there mm-hmm. and she was just like do you want your hoodie or not like i'm <laughs> like she yeah. didn't want anything from me mm-hmm. but i had this assumed this assumed uh status in the real or power dynamic in in her and my relationship that yeah yeah i have what she wants mm-hmm. in a sense when the, it was uh yeah oh god i, I feel icky just even yeah. thinking about it because because it, it's such a polar difference to how i i hope to you know treat my part treat my wife mm-hmm. and, and and model for yeah. my daughter so it, it, it's it's been a journey but it's definitely been a, a slow peeling of the onion you could say mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's part of another part of the work that you're doing that i, I think is really powerful is you're you're telling these boys well, these men kind of boys but you're telling men that hey this doesn't happen overnight and 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 it's up to you you are the one holding the pen you're the one who uh has to determine what this means for you no one here can tell you what's right or wrong in a sense you've got to really come to that conclusion yourself yeah which i think is the most affirming piece of it yeah right there's there's been such a beauty in watching uh students and and folks who aren't even students who I work with right um outside of Northwestern come into a space where they really explore that piece of their identity that piece of what it means to be men or mm-hmm. it means to be masculine or masculine you know or masculinity itself for them helping them come up with those definitions for themselves but also just explore it maybe for the first time in a way that feels like safer uh, you know with others who are maybe struggling with that as well it's been really powerful and really rewarding um to watch that process the aha moments right mm-hmm. of clicks like even just what i saw you know like you were sort of explaining just now brandon uh, i'm starting i've reflected on some of the ways i treated people or i handled certain situations and yeah getting across to folks that intentions do matter but intent and impact is different right yes. and 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 I think what's been really illuminating, and I think it's hard, and, and you asked me the question earlier, what's sort of the biggest pushback or hard for some of the men to understand from, from some of the work we do. One of the biggest things that's been hard for them to get, I think at times, is that as men, and, and this could be a lot of people of different identities, but just spe- specifically talking about this group, you have impact automatically when you're in a space, right? Um you know, just by the sheer way that you are. I mean, our identities, you know, we get caught up in the politics of everything, but there's ways that me as an Indian man who looks the way I do, shows up in a certain space, already feels political for someone or already feels like activating in some way for somebody. And the same thing with a lot of our men who don't quite understand that if you're in a space, it's this idea of like, well, I'm one of the good guys, right? I'm a good man. I'm not out there assaulting people or harming people. Like, I mean, you know, like, not me, like, what about me? And I think it's hard for folks to grapple with that, like, 
sure, it may not be you, but that's hard societally for folks to, especially for some of our women, to, to, to what? just trust that or just know that given everything, all the historical atrocities here. And so can you check the ego and sit with the fact that you have impact already and it might be part of the work um, to like accept that and do something with that too? Well, and I think we also forget grassroots trust building and building a relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I went through that myself, man. I was drinking the Kool-Aid when I got into men's work, mm-hmm. like big time. Yeah. And man, I thought I immediately deserved access to people's life stories and their biggest challenges in life. And man, I, I crossed the boundary a couple of times where someone was like, I, I don't know you. I'm not prepared to share that with you. And I was like, oh, oh, I, I don't deserve access to these things because I'm a quote unquote good guy. I have to build those relationships, earn their trust, earn the right to be able to even go there in a conversation or, or so. Really, it comes down to, okay, I'm in a room. I have, there's in, unintended impact of me just being in that room. How do I model who I am at my core as opposed to request what I hope to get from others in that said room? Right. I want to ask you about, you know, another big part of your work, which is uh, you know, creating ally, allyship. As you said, um, here we go. Implementing strategies to improve masculine engagement and prevention of violence. Um, what are some of these strategies? Like, what is something that we can, uh, the listeners here and myself can uh, help promote, help yeah. sponsor, help put out there? What are some of those strategies to help, uh, you know, give men the power, I'm going to say this, give men the power to prevent violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what we want folks to know is that you already have, we, we all show up to this differently, but we already have so much power um, regardless of, of identity. I mean, we have so much power in this space and we have our, and what I have a lot of um, my young men focus on is who their spheres of influence are. Mm-hmm. You know, we, have so many people that we influence, regardless of like what level, degree, whatever that we have. And so how do you use that influence? So part of it is even on um, a very baseline level, are you even talking about you know, the, the sort of invisible stuff? Are you talking about identity? Are you talking about sort of the day-to-day stuff? I encourage my students to not just leave these meetings um, where they're spending an hour, hour and a half deconstructing masculinity and that's it, but how do you live within that throughout day-to-day basis? So how often do you ask like your male or masculine friends about like, hey, you know, about their day-to-day lives, but then asking like sort of how does, I don't know, how's like the, you know, being a man sort of influence some of that, like sort of um, expanding that conversation um, with, with male friends or colleagues or whoever it may be, or other people in your life, regardless of gender, just how, what are the gender dynamics there? Like, can you name that? Can you talk about it? Um, there's a lot of things and ways that we interact that just go unnamed and unspoken. And so um, if we can create some more awareness with these folks to start naming some of that and bringing it up, I think that that's really powerful. So in spaces where I might be the only male or masculine person, which is often given the field I'm in, um, am I able to sort of model an awareness of that? I ask questions here and there about like, sort of my impact now, not wanting folks to do a ton of labor with me, but like sort of just like 
hey, how'd that land for you? How are you doing? So it's sort of this idea. Be the, like, la- be the last to speak. Right. Ask right. more questions. Yes. A perfect example of my lack of awareness in grad school was um, we were in a psychology course where it was me and like two other males and there was like a bunch of other women in the class and it started to be a topic around like gender and it was us three who were going back and forth talking to each other Mm. and um, the professor who was a woman pointed that out and it was like one of those moments where like oh my gosh here I am thinking I'm unproblematic and I'm not you know I'm not hurting people and and it's the subtleties of that and people might say that's not such a big ideal but it is because it's sort of the what's the underlying message when these three men are just going without a lack of any kind of awareness and all these women what are they experiencing and so you guys had a school dance yeah, yeah <laughs> was exactly. men were on this wall women are on this wall absolutely <laughs> and it's like that awareness um and naming that and calling that out is so vital to relationship mm-hmm. building so on one hand it is like so can we start providing some tools at how language on how to talk about this normalize those conversations and really encourage that um i think outside of those students can we encourage like listeners folks to also um, ease those restrictions themselves. Like maybe like, you know, deconstruct your own biases, your own expectations of masculinity. How do you accidentally or incidentally even promote that? So an example um, that I'll give is I, um, as a child, cried a lot. Like I, I'm a very emotional, I'm a Scorpio, maybe that has something to do with it, but I can be very emotional. Um, and when I was a child, I had a, a family member say to me when I was crying, wow, Saeed, you're really your mother's child with all those emotions, right? Now, that feels very, like, innocuous, just very, like, off, you know, whatever kind of comment, not much meant by it. But as a child, that has such impact on me because it made Mm. me think, like, oh, that's mom, right, with these emotions, and I recognize dad never cries and never... So what does that already do to, like, my identity development or thoughts about, like, how do I want to be, right? Um. And so that has impact. So thinking about like when you're asking folks like that or asking boys, like, how's your girlfriend doing when they're like 10 years old? Like, what is that? You know, what are we trying to assume there and push there? It's so these little subtleties of even how we talk to people that I want folks to slow down and think about too. I, so you've got this, this format in which guys come together to talk. Mm -hmm. All right. We at the Mankind Project have men's circles, thousands of them Mm -hmm. all over the world. And in my men's circle, you know, I have guys that have been friends for a long time. They sit in one or two meetings and they, they can't shut up. <laughs> it's like, boom, like the lid's been blown off. And they're like, man, I haven't thought about that or said that or even considered that being a thing for my whole life. But now I can see, boom, 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 because there was a safe enough environment in which they could come and kind of audibly process. Also something, I mean, dude, you're the expert. I, I just want to kind of riff and rap, rap with you here. What I've seen as well is giving men that space to get it wrong, whatever wrong is, but to say, have something come out the way you don't want it to come out, but to take that subjective swirling message or story in the brain and get it out so that they can actually craft it, see the impact of it, identify like, oh, I'm happy I did that here and not with my wife or with my daughters, or it's that space to kind of be fallible and, and figure it out without judgment, without shame. Yeah. That that in itself is something very incredibly foreign for a lot of males. Yeah. 
you know, and what I want to say about that is, so I did a research project with my students um, uh, who I supervise around what they, the benefits that they feel like they get from the programming, right? From the group, from the programming, exploring masculinity in the ways that they do. And um, a constant theme that came up for them was A, some of what we talked about, which is that early masculinity education was so limited or non-existent. So we're already talking about an identity that really does influence a lot of aspects of our lives day to day in society that we're never naming or talking about by design, I think, in ways, right? When we think about power and some of these other dynamics. So that's one. So the awareness is key. But the other thing that they mention is constantly is that they really appreciate a space where uh, they are allowed to be authentic and make mistakes, right? So um, one of my students, you know, mentioned that, like, um, you know, it was one of the first times where he kind of was able to be in a space where he knew other people were also going to be clunky and kind of weird. And we also, as a society, don't have a great idea of what accountability really looks like or how to like address harm or even name that like something is offensive or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics around repair work um, yeah. and interpersonal and being relational with each other that we don't understand. And so when we have folks making these mistakes um, in public, on one hand, that is can be very harmful, right? That's very harmful. And that has impacts. Yes. But yes. at the same time, we need a space where we can sort of educate and, and not to say that all these women need to be the ones doing that. That's part of why I wanted to do some of this work and get into this was to take some of that labor off, um, but also using, you know, and, and keeping in partnership with folks who are women as well around this work, but in hopes that like to ease some of that. I think that's part of it. I love that you said that too, because we have these models now of someone saying something that they likely regret. And they've been tarred and feathered. It's been a stain in their on their career, on their image, on their family's image. And because it's so easy to frenzy and get high on that, as opposed to offer them an opportunity, create accountability, offer them the opportunity to take responsibility, not to put words in their mouth as to what's right or wrong, but a chance to respond, to clarify, to go deeper into what they said, as opposed to you said this in this article which can be inferred all these ways, I'm going to assume the worst, yank that thread, and now all of a sudden you're public enemy number one. Yeah. Yeah, what we know about some of this work is that, I mean, there is a way that I don't have the expectation that every time a mistake is made that, um, or someone is offended, that they have to be the ones that educates that person in that moment. I mean, that's so much labor. That's so that's impact, and that's hard, and, you know, to navigate mm -hmm. that. I'm thinking a more macro level of that where we kind of say, for example, um, looking into alternatives to accountability um, around some of these issues, right? Instead of like shunning someone or shutting them out of society completely, can we do something around transforming uh, harm into something that can be helpful to us societally. So that might be restorative justice and restorative practices, for example. A great resource that I would love folks to um, engage with um, is any work by Miriam Kaba, for instance. Um, and um, specific how, how, how do you spell that? Yeah, so um, you can spell Kaba, K-A-B-A. Um, and let me make sure that I think there's an E in Miriam's. So I want to make sure I get yes. Miriam's exact. Okay. Links, will, yes. links will be in the show notes to her work. Sure. Yes. So Miriam is, yeah, Miriam, A-M-A-R-I-A-M-E. 
and then Kaba, K-A-B-A. Okay. The um, abolition of the prison industrial complex. Yeah. So, you know, um, Miriam is just a really dynamic, um, you know, speaker, scholar, um, everything. But um, the site transformharm.org is a great resource, but it's a, it's a resource that allows folks to sort of start to engage with how do we do accountability in a way that's helpful societally and as a community, as opposed to these individual ways we try to do accountability where we just maybe shun people out you know, and lock them out of society. Because often what happens with those people, when we shun them, if you want to use the term cancel, whatever you want to use, what happens is often they're sort of operating independently with all the problematic thoughts, behaviors, whatever. And now they've been ostracized and that often causes more issues. Or they Um, get absorbed into other unhealthy communities that go, hey, that was totally unfair. They did that to you. Come join us and we will... Yeah, we will indoctrinate you even further into can this we, unhealthy behavior. Can we hold people accountable in an unf- an, in an affirming way, yes. um, as opposed to a way that feels like we're we're piling on and that sort of thing? And now, this is not yeah. to say that we need to make excuses for these folks. We need to coddle folks and all of this. No. This is hard work, and this is difficult stuff we're talking about. But if we can move toward a more restorative practice sort of space with some of this, I think that's how collective healing happens more. But I also understand it's hard, and you have to find who's able to do that kind of labor, who's got the emotional capacity for that kind of work. But I think that's part of our responsibility as men and other mass folks doing this work is to, like, continue to do the work internally for ourselves, but share that with others. So we're creating a different environment. And I'll give this quick example of um, uh, one of my buddy's uh, sons years ago. Um, you know, he was about eight years old, seven years old. Um, and we're watching a TV show together. And in the TV show, a young boy and a young girl kiss each other. But the way it happens is that this young boy just, they're not talking to each other. They're kind of looking at each other. And he just all of a sudden kisses her. And they kind of look at each other a little shocked and then she runs off and it's kind of a whole thing, right? That's the scene. And I think we've all seen a scene like this probably in a show yeah. before. I turn to my uh, son, uh, my uh, 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 friend's son and I ask him, you know, what do you think about that interaction? Just not, what do you think about like those two together? And he's like, oh, kissing, I don't know. That's kind of gross. You know, like he's kind of like in that sure. space. Um, and I kind of asked him, well, okay, but did it seem like, oh, she wanted that kiss? You know, just curious, you know? And he's like, uh, no. And then I asked him, well, what's the reason you know that? And he says, well, she didn't really ask for it. I didn't, you know, there was no indication. He just did it. And it's a way to kind of slow down a little bit. And that may be an innocent sort of thing. But if we're trying to get into a consent-based culture and understanding for our young men early about bodily autonomy, which is also important for them, not just so they're not predators, but for themselves, because they also can be survivors and victims, obviously. Getting into a culture where we can start getting them to slow down and be more intentional about noticing things and naming it for them is so vital. And that's just one small thing you could be doing day to day is use these teachable moments to really slow things down and be intentional because they're like sponges right now. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, so Saeed, might we, uh, we, we got to wrap things up because of our technical difficulties. I hate to drag you over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, how can we find out more about you and your work? 
Yeah, I mean, you can certainly um, continue. I mean, I'm on the Northwestern website, so I want to promote our department, which is the Center for Awareness, Response, and Education at Northwestern University. Um, you know, such a vital service uh, there. I work with amazing colleagues. I'm the only man in that office, and I know that they do so much labor in that office, seeing students. Um, that really helps provide me space and time and energy to to do the masculinity work I do and do it in the ways I do and to be here with you promoting certain things. So, you know, the, those folks are amazing. Carrie, shout out to her, my supervisor, Caitlin, another colleague, and Kamari as well. So um, that's our office at Northwestern. So you can find me through the CARE website on Northwestern. Um, I'm also, you can also link up to me, obviously, on LinkedIn. I do a lot of um, consulting work on the side where I help institutions build masculinity-based programming, curriculum development, um, gender-based harassment trainings, bystander intervention trainings, retreats. There's all sorts of stuff that I can work with folks around um, in doing that kind of work. And so you can always connect to me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also um, uh, find me on Dynamic Cooperative um, as well as a site. So it's called D Dynamic cooperative.com. So I'm part of um, just a, a group of amazing individuals who are former colleagues of mine um, from Northwestern, who now we do our own consulting stuff, where we do social justice oriented consulting work um, around like race, gender, all sorts of stuff. And they're amazing too. So you can find me through that work uh, as well. But I'm on those socials, just, you know, Facebook, whatever, <laughs> you can get at me there too. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, just find me there. Beautiful, mate. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, grateful for this time. I'm walking away with a, with a ton of learning, a ton of notes, and uh, yeah, feeling in a really kind of reflective space. Um, just, yeah, here, hearing you bring your experience to the, to the forefront for me and our listeners. So a lot of gratitude to you, mate. I'm, I'm sure this won't be the last time. There's a couple things that we had on the list to talk about that uh, no doubt, mate, you're the man for the job. We talked about um, you know, a big part of your work is actually working with people who have committed acts of harassment and, mm -hmm. you know, talking about is the appropriate response to just tar and feather them and drag them through the streets, ringing bells, screaming shame, or is there a more redemptive approach to, to help, you know, yeah. these men kind of identify uh, these behaviors as well as, you know, approaching older men who might be a bit slow to accept or adopt these social changes. But alas, we'll have to tease that for the next time we get together. Grateful yeah. to you, mate. Thanks for being yeah. here. Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity to be with you, Brandon. You're amazing, and I love this podcast. And yeah, if there's a demand for it, I'd love to do a part two with you. This is a lot of fun. So thank you for that, and thank you for highlighting the work. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, of course, goes to our incredible listenership that join us each and every week. I say each and every week. God, we've been posting bi-weekly. We've had, we've had some stuff happening on the back end of the show. I hope you guys can appreciate and understand that. Uh, we endeavor to get these out weekly. It's not always not always possible, um, but we want to keep bringing incredible human beings like Saeed uh, to your ears so that you can learn. And uh, just like me, learn that there are more than one way to be a man in this world. So thank you. Gratitude. We will see you hopefully next week.